Welcome, and thank you for joining us for today's CME podcast. PrimeMed podcasts are dedicated to providing on-the-go clinicians with pertinent, evidence-based primary care content that won't take too much time out of your busy schedule. Information about CME credits and faculty for today's podcast can be found within this activity's landing page on primemed.com podcast. Be sure to also go to this location in order to claim your CME credits after the program. Thank you and enjoy. Hello. The topic for this podcast is persistent postoperative pain. I am Oscar de Leon Casasola. I'm a professor of uh, anesthesiology and medicine at the Jacobs School of Medicine at the University at Buffalo in Buffalo, New York. I'm also the chief of the division of pain medicine and a professor of oncology at the Roswell Park Cancer Institute in Buffalo, New York. The objectives for this presentation are number one, to document the prevalence of persistent postoperative pain. Number two, to list the procedures that are more frequently associated with this problem. Number three, to describe the underlying mechanisms leading to persistent postoperative pain. And as a result of that, to discuss the alternative treatment available uh, in order to uh, control this problem in the primary care setting. So as a mode of uh, background information, we know that the incidence of persistent uh, post-surgical pain varies from procedure to procedure. The most significant ones are thoracotomy, 61 to 70%, mastectomies uh, with 20 to 50% incidence, hip replacement, 7 to 23%, and uh, knee replacements with an incidence from 10 to 20%. Patients undergoing hernia repairs, hysterectomies, cholecystectomies may have an incidence that varies from 5 to 35%. So if you consider that worldwide, 312 million individuals underwent surgical procedures in 2012, you will understand the high burden to society when considering this, uh, this issue. What are the risk factors for a patient exhibiting persistent postoperative pain? Preoperatively speaking, we have the severity of preoperative pain, patients who utilize opioid therapy prior to surgery, genetic polymorphism, that is to say the history of uh, uh, a uh, persistent postoperative pain in, in, in previous surgeries, and psychological problems such as anxiety, depression, and catastrophizing. In the intraoperative period, we have the type of surgery, as it was, was discussed, uh, thoracotomies, breast surgery, and amputations carry the highest risk. And in the postoperative period, a uh, increased pain intensity is a hallmark of uh, uh, a risk factor for persistent postoperative pain. The mechanism uh, leading to uh, uh, this problem are well recognized. First one is physiological, and that leads with uh, central sensitization, a condition that occurs in some individuals from the barrage of impulses coming from severe pain in the uh, uh, intraoperative and postoperative period. And uh, number one is, uh, number two rather, is iatrogenic nerve injury uh, that occurs uh, during surgery. So this 
two conditions have something in common, and that is the activation of central pathways that have been recognized as generating neuropathic pain. A neuropathic component in persistent post-surgical pain has been recognized recently in a 2013 uh, publication. Systematic search evaluation of 281 studies in 11 types of procedures documented that there is a high incidence of neuropathic pain in, the, in this condition, uh, about 66 to 70% after thoracic and breast, breast surgery, about uh, 31% after hernia repair, and about 10% after uh, knee and hip arthroplasties. So understanding the majority of individuals who present this problem will have a neuropathic pain condition leads to appropriate treatment. And in this regard, the 2015 Lancet recommendations based on systematic review and meta-analysis suggest that when facing this problem, that one has to consider a topical therapy as first-line therapy, lidocaine patch in this regard, or a, a, a lidocaine cream should be utilized in the first place. The uh, second approach, should this not be enough, is that the utilization of a tricyclic antidepressant or a dual reuptake inhibitor. However, if there is a contraindication or there is not enough effectiveness, then the utilization of gabapentinoids uh, should be recommended. Patients who do not respond to this uh, multimodal approach then should be offered opiates in the form of tramadol or methadone. And if that still does not work, one has options such as peripheral nerve stimulation or intrathecal therapy for the treatment of these patients. Enzymatic pathway that is important is the CYP2D6. We know that uh, codeine and hydrocodone must be converted to morphine or hydromorphone before analgesia has to occur. In the case of tramadol, it must be converted to O-desmethyltramadol for that to happen. And the problem is that CYP2D6 is congenitally absent in 7 to 10% of uh, U.S. whites, 3% of uh, African Americans, and 1% of Asians. So one has to uh, be aware of this uh, interaction because patients uh, who have a congenital absence of 2D6 enzyme may not have analgesic effects from hydrocodone, codeine, or tramadol. In the use of uh, tricyclic antidepressants, it is noteworthy that amitriptyline is associated with the highest incidence of sedation, anticholinergic effects, orthostatism, and cardiac effects. Uh, for that reason, we recommend the use of nortriptyline uh, or desipramine because uh, with the exception of sedation, nortriptyline is associated with the lowest incidence of these side effects. And desipramine, which does not have an antihistaminic effect, does not create sedation, and also is associated with a low incidence of anticholinergic effects and orthostatism. Uh, in regards to orthostatism, it is noteworthy that uh, diabetic patients who may also have this problem, the use of nortriptyline is indicated because it is the tricyclic antidepressant least associated with this, uh, this problem. It is also 
important to note that uh, the use of uh, gabapentinoids is effective in this regard. Um, as far as uh, a tricyclic antidepressants, we start at a dose of 10 to 25 milligrams at bedtime, and we titrate the doses up to 100 milligrams at bedtime. A dose of 100 milligrams should not be exceeded because the risk of sudden death increases dramatically when using higher doses. For the use of uh, uh, anticonvulsants, uh, we have three choices, gabapentin, oxcarbazepine, and pregabalin. Uh, the initial or starting dose for gabapentin is 100 to 300 milligrams three times a day, and the target dose is uh, 1200 milligrams three times a day. One has to be concerned about weight gain, which occurs in about 20% of patients, twitching, and uh, other uh, um, problems with ataxia. Uh, also, it is important to measure renal function because renal excretion occurs in uh, more than 95% uh, of the uh, dose administered. Uh, pregabalin uh, starting dose is uh, 50 milligrams three times a day uh, with a total dose of 150 milligrams per day. And the target dose is uh, 900 milligrams a day, 300 milligrams three times per day. Uh, we recommend increasing the doses every week and also watch for weight gain, twitching, uh, ataxia, etc. Just as with gabapentin, renal excretion occurs in more than 95% of the administered dose. Dose renal function is important. Oxcarbazepine is also an option. Uh, the starting dose is 300 milligrams uh, a um, BID, and the target dose is uh, 1,200 milligrams BID, 2,400 in total. Uh, side effects to watch for are hyponatremia, Steven Johnson syndrome, and uh, erythema multiforme. Uh, renal excretion is low, 30%, so it can be used even though there is uh, uh, low uh, GFR. But uh, hepatic metabolism is important, and one has to uh, watch uh, both for the sodium levels and liver function test in patients who may have uh, this um, administration with these drugs. So in conclusion, Persistent postoperative pain is a complex biopsychosocial phenomenon that needs to be addressed in a multidisciplinary, multimodal approach. The incidence is high after thoracic, breast, hernia, and amputation surgeries. We discussed that the incidence of persistent postoperative pain in patients undergoing thoracotomies either through a posterior lateral incision or video-assisted procedures is anywhere from 50 to 70% and a similar number for patients undergoing breast surgery with axillary node dissection. Pharmacological management with topical agents, tricyclic antidepressants and anticonvulsants is effective in a high percentage of individuals who can tolerate this therapy. Thank you so very much. We thank you again for joining PrimeMed for today's podcast. Remember to claim your CME credits for the program on this activity's landing page on primed.com slash podcast. Also, be sure to check out all of our other podcasts and primary care activities on primed.com as well. See you next time.